How are we doing? Um, I want to talk about... I actually want to talk about money. I wasn't going to, but I feel like God wants to talk about money. Is that all right? And relate it back to eagles, because that's a good thing, right? Only if you're a GWS supporter. Spoken like a true docker. <laughs> I actually always want to know what Docker supporters do in finals season. (laughs) What do you do in September? Because, you know, ours is all about football. (laughs) Mate, I'm all about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like we said, we bring hope to the hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I want to pull something out of yesterday's game um, and talk about something happened. I mean... For those of you who didn't see the game, let, let me give you about the last 40 seconds. Um, scores are level, okay? Scores are level. Scores are level. It's 60 each, all right? Um, and what happens after the scores are level at the end of regular time is they go into extra time. And you got a situation where there's a guy called Eric McKenzie, all right? Now, Eric is back near the opposition's goal. So he's at Port Adelaide's goal. Port Adelaide takes a shot on goal. And the ball's bouncing towards the goal. Now, he's got a problem. All right? And I reckon he was the hero of the game. Yeah, I know Luke Chewy kicked the goal at the end of the game, but Eric McKenzie was the hero of the game. Because scores are level. Any score with 40 seconds to go, and they've lost the game. All right? So the ball's bouncing back towards the goal. Now, he can't grab the ball and run through for a point because they're going to lose the game. But he also can't run out of bounds because if he does that, he's going to get done for intentionally taking the ball out. The opposition gets a free kick and they're going to score and he score and they lose the game. And so, I mean, I remember seeing the situation and thinking, what the heck is he going to do? Because he's got a player behind him. The ball's bouncing towards the goal. He's going to grab the ball and then what's he going to do? And this is where experience comes in. Because he does the only thing, he does the, you know, we think there's two options. There's either run through for a, a behind and hope that you can score a, a goal in, in 40 seconds down the other end of the ground. It's run out, of, run out of bounds and hope that the umpire doesn't give you, give a free kick to the opposition for intentional out, which was going to happen because it was pretty obvious what he did. But Eric comes up with a third opportunity. He runs straight into the point post. And in doing so, drops the ball which goes out of bounds for a throw-in. It's brilliant. Because, I mean, seriously, who's going to give a kick against a guy who intentionally, who runs into a, a point post? I mean, he faked it, you know, he sort of ran around and looked around and then, oh, look, the point post is there, and sacrifices himself, smacking into the point post making sure he drops the ball on the outside and it rolls out of bounds. And Dale and I were talking about it this morning and, you know, I mean, talking about unsung hero. I mean, that's brilliant because it means the game goes an extra time and we know the rest of the story that they go on and they win the game. Huh? Well, they certainly tried to, but they failed. <laughs> Richard wins one final and the guy thinks he's a champion. I mean. <laughs> anyway, 
The point of the illustration is... Just an illustration. Just an illustration, all right. Brilliant moment. But the point of the illustration is that if that had been one of the newer players doing that, if that had been a rookie, then they either would have conceded the point and hoped they'd get something or they would have ran out of bounds. But Eric, seasoned campaigner, guy who's been there before, took an option that nobody thought was there. He found a creative way to get through it. And it came not because, hey, it's my first game and I'm doing this, but because of preparedness. Here's a guy who spends week after week training, training three, four times a week in front of the defence's goal to stop them scoring. Here's a guy who's been playing game after game, thinking of options, looking at ways around so that when the moment came and the game was on the line, he was the right guy in the right place at the right time to do the right thing and to do what nobody else in the ground. There's 41, 42,000 people there and nobody expected that. That's what preparedness does. That's what... All that time of training and training and training through the, through the rain, through the winter, through you know, early hour recoveries, you know, jumping into the ocean at, you know, when it's three degrees outside in a Melbourne storm. It's jumping in ice bars. It's, it's ages of training and training and watching tapes and watching games and watching your opposition that comes up to that split-second decision that changed the course of the game. And potentially the history of people. And we think, big deal, but this actually changes the history of people. It changed two whole teams' outlook for the next seven days. This is what preparedness does. And I really felt that if you go to First Peter... Chapter 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Not saying that you're a newborn babe, but like a newborn babe desires milk, yeah? It's all they want, isn't it? You know, just give me the food. <laughs> he says, we've got to be like a newborn babe and desire the word of God. And he goes on in chapter 3 to say, Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God. In other words, set God apart in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, always be ready to share God in your life. But where does that come from? It comes from desiring the Word of God. It comes from preparedness. It comes from taking time in the Word of God. It takes time in prayer. It's being prepared so that when that moment comes, you can stand up and go, you know what? Let me tell you about Jesus. That you can be the Eric McKenzie of somebody's life. That you can change their destiny. In that second, because you're ready. What's that got to do with money? A whole lot. 
Shouldn't we talk about money? Do we not talk, don't want to talk about money? We can talk about sex instead. Would that be better? <laughs> oh, sorry. It's under 18s. We can't talk about sex. Okay. But money is about being prepared. And I feel like sometimes we go to God. In fact, a lot of times, Christians, we can go to God and we can say, it's all up to God. God has to take care of us. And that's not incorrect. He does. But I think sometimes we need to learn to be wise with what he's already given us and wise with what we have. And I find, I don't know why people, people come and talk to me about money. I think it's because I worked in banking once and they think I know something. I don't know, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> well, I think it's only because, I think we complicate money. And I guess what I want to do is I want to give you a basic financial plan for the rest of your life. And I, I, read, I read a book. I um, asked for a book for Father's Day from my kids, and one of them gave it to me. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, because I thought I'd heard such good things about this book. So I read the book, and as I read it through it, I went, this is what I tell people. <laughs> and there was a couple of good things in there that I hadn't thought of, and I thought, oh, that's interesting way of putting it. But essentially, it was really just taking your money back into a basic system that actually helps you to get ahead. Because if you're a person who likes to do really complicated budgets, then the Lord bless you. (laughs) That's not me. About once or twice a year, I'll sit down and actually go through in great detail to make sure that I'm actually covering things. But really, financial management is a really simple thing to do. And I think that, one, we don't really learn this growing up. Because, I don't know about you, but most of you, I mean, it's great. My parents are brilliant people, all right? But see, we have an interesting journey that's happened for these guys and for a lot of us as we come through as a result of that. You see, what happened was the world changed from getting paid in cash in an envelope and you used to spread it out. You know, people used to put envelopes, used to put these envelopes on top of their fridge. And it would be like the power bill and the phone bill and those things. And they'd get their pay and they'd split up the pay and put it into each little envelope. You know, and they would, you know, you put your tithe into another envelope and then on Sunday you grab your tithe and your envelope and wander down the church with your envelope and put in the offering. But the world started to change. Credit started to come in. Things like credit cards started to come in and, and they confused the financial landscape for a lot of people because um, it looked like easy, good money until you had to pay it back, you know. Um, electronic banking started and that sort of people started going how do I balance this because pay started going into bank accounts rather than into your hand and it was like how does this work and it caused a little bit of money management change from being a visible thing to being an invisible thing and to being something that people are confused about where does it go and I guess you know and then they start talking about budgets and you have these big complex plans and I want to say to you it doesn't have to be like that I want to give you a really simple way to handle your money. Is that okay? I know this isn't really spiritual, but it'll change your life. 
All right? So I'm going to grab my cups. And I need someone who's got a good handwriting and a black pen. Where's my black pen gone? I had one. Did you steal my black pen, babe? Okay. That's right. Just, that's right. Doesn't matter. Oh, what a big thick one. I think that's what I was looking for. All right, Rebecca. I want you to write on. All right, the first thing you do with your money when you get it is what? Tithe. All right, write giving on that one. I'll talk to you about giving in detail in a minute, all right? Spend it. All right. All right, so your first one is giving. I'll put him out here. Everyone to say, all right? So how does that work? It's really simple. When your money comes in, work out what 10% of that is and put it aside. Or if you really want to, just put in the church's details and send it straight through. All right? And I'll talk about giving in a minute in a bit more detail. All right? Easy. Then you don't have to worry about it. And someone says to me, well, why should we give? Well, because it's biblical. All right? Ten cents of every dollar belongs to God. And someone says, well, you know, what if I don't want to? Well, the way it works is like this. If you don't give the 10 cents, then the other 90 cents is, is cursed. Simple as that. That's what Malachi says. And I'd rather have 90% blessed and give 10% than... And it's not about funding the church or anything else. It's just about honouring God with what he's given you and recognising that he has blessed you. All right? But we'll go there in a minute. The second area is I want to call life. Life. Let's call it life. Now, if you had to take a 10% pay cut, could you survive? Like, you had no choice. You lost your job, you have had another job, and that job paid you 10% less than your previous job. It's the only job you could get. Could you survive? Yeah? All right. Then a really simple way to have a savings plan is to assume that's happened. Take 10% of your income and put it into this account. All right? So you give your first 10%... To God and you honour him. The second 10% you pay yourself. So with this 10%, you put it into an account until it build, until if you've got nothing now, until you build up about two thousand thereabouts, two to five thousand dollars. And you just have that, and that becomes your life fund. Right? When you get to about two thousand dollars, you've got enough there to handle any situation that comes your way, right? If you have a house and your hot water system breaks down, you can replace it with about that, right? If you have a serious problem with your car, $2,000 would usually cover it. If you have an accident, you've got to pay an excess. $2,000 will usually well and truly cover that, right? Yeah? You have a major appliance break in your house, $2,000 would usually cover that, right? So it takes the stress out of you having to go into debt when something goes wrong. So you build up up to at least $2,000 and you hold that $2,000 to $5,000 depending on your comfort zone, really. $2,000 is the minimum, all right? Some people like to have $5,000 because they like to feel more comfortable. That's cool. And it sits there and you leave that there accessible for you to handle anything that comes your way. 
all right? Now, if you want to be really smart, here's a side tip, what you can do then is actually change your premiums for your insurance for your house and your car and so on so that you're actually paying less premium with a higher excess. So that way you actually save money in your premiums and you've got money in your, in your account there, your life account, to handle anything that comes your way to pay the excess. Just a small tip, something to think about, yeah? Depending, you can work on your comfort zone. Some people like to be risky. Some people like to be really comfortable. All right? So you build that up. And then beyond that, you keep putting 10% in there and everything beyond that becomes for you to invest. All right? Some people like to take 5% and it goes into investment. The other 5% of that 10% goes into things like big holidays and things like that. All right? So it's your life stuff. It's the stuff that gets you ahead in life. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. The third one is called living. So you've got 80% left, right? With this 80%, you pay everything else in your life. And someone says to me, but I can't afford to live on the 80%. Well then, make a change. Change your life. Did you know that we spend more in this country on stuff that after two weeks we no longer use than what most of the world spends on food to live by? It's amazing, isn't it? Think of all the things that you've bought that two weeks later you're just not using anymore. A month later it's sitting... How many, how many cupboards have you got with stuff in there that you just don't even use? You've forgotten it's there. How many sheds are full of things that it was great for that one minute? <laughs> Here's a tip. You want to raise your $2,000 for your life account? Sell it. Get on Gumtree, have a garage sale. You raise your $2,000, you know, basic thing for you'll be done. But you live on the other 80% and you choose to live within that 80%. Yeah? Does that make sense? If you actually work through this system, what you'll do is you take the stress out for emergency situations because you've got money there. Two, you build up a strong investment amount where you can invest in whatever you feel comfortable with and that's a whole other conversation. But three, you're also honouring God with your wealth and what he's given you. Does that make sense? Am I talking to myself when this is pointless conversation? All right. Now let me talk to you about tithing. Because tithing is powerful. But not just tithing, let me talk to you about giving. Now that I've told you... No, thank you. Now that I've told you about 10%, let me increase your 10% slightly. Because most people don't understand giving. All right? It's awesome writing. That's why she wrote it, not me. All right. I want you to understand there are four types of giving and if you get them wrong, it's probably why you don't see a return on your seed. All right? This is what people get wrong. So first off, there's a tithe in Malachi where it says what? It says to bring the whole tithe into your house. I'm going really quickly here, summary version, you can look this up later. But in Malachi, or Malachi for those of you who don't like it, it says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse... And the result is that God says, when you bring your tithes in there, 
He says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing you can't contain it. And the next bit's the most important bit, I think. He says that he'll rebuke the devourer. Now, if you feel like your finances are constantly being eaten, are you tithing correctly? See, the first thing is the tithe, he says, to bring into the storehouse. The word for storehouse, if we're going to bring it into modern-day context, is the church. Your tithe belongs in the church and not anywhere else. Some people go, oh, I like to give tithe to the poor. I like to give it to this organisation. The tithe comes into where you are fed. Does that make sense? All right, And that's an important aspect that God put in there out of his own wisdom. I don't know why he chose it, but that's the way he did it. All right? He says, then the blessing comes and the devourer is rebuked. So if you're not seeing that happening in your tithing, then what you do is go, you know what? You start to speak it. I'm sorry, the devourer is rebuked. Things don't go wrong. I heard of one guy who's telling a story. He says, he said this air conditioning, he says it's been going for 30 years in his house. And he said the guy comes around and he's got a couple of rental properties and he says, why is it that I go to your air conditioners? He says, they sound like absolute rubbish. He said, they're noisy and they clatter, but they work perfectly. He says, can I go through it? And he says, no, you can't touch them, don't touch them. He said, been going for 30 years, don't touch them. And he says, they just keep working. Things keep working, working, working. And people go, why is this? He says, I'm a tither, the devourer's rebuked, there's nothing wrong with them. And they produce perfect air. God will start to work on your favour and rebuke the devourer and you'll find that the money no longer runs out. He says the, op- the option the other way is you don't tithe. He says you feel like your money comes in and it's like you've got holes in your bags and it runs out the bottom again. All right? That's tithing. I know most of you got that. But let me give you the other areas of giving that are really important because they're part of honouring God. The second area is first fruits. And that's in Proverbs chapter 3. Is when he first brought it up. Well, not the first time, but let me give you the summarised version. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. First fruits is what they would do is when, they, when the season came around, say they had an orchard of orange trees, all right? They would take the first tree that brought forward the first fruit and they would strip that tree of all its fruit once it ripened and they would bring it in and have a celebration. They would bring it into the priest usually and give it to the priest and they'd have this celebration with it. And what it was saying was, here's the first of our harvest, not just the tithe, they'd bring the tithe as well, but above that we would bring the first fruits of increase to honour God that he has brought increase in our lives. So how does that apply today since most of us don't have an orchard? Anyone got an orchard? Not yet? Working on it? Probably the modern day equivalent of doing that is, is if you, say you get a pay rise. You know, you're making $1,000 a week and they give you a 10% pay rise. So now you're making $1,100 a week. Generous place, yeah? What you would do is the first week that you got that pay rise, so the first $100 increase you would bring that as a first fruit. And some people go, I can't afford it, I needed that. Yeah, you did, but you didn't have it beforehand anyway and you survived. 
But what is this bringing that increase and going, you know what, I bring this on. You get a new job. You know, you're making 50000 a year, you get a new job that's making 80000 a year, so you get a pay rise. You bring the difference in the pay. And the thing about that is you can do, you need to go to God and say, how do you want me to use this? You can bring that, just put it into the church. You can give it to a ministry. You can give it to a pastor. You can give it anywhere that you feel you want to give it. But it needs to be within a ministry context. Does that make sense? All right. And what that is is saying, you know what? I want to honour you, God, for your increase in my life. So it's not the whole wage, it's bringing the increase. Does that make sense? Sorry? Yeah, just a one-off. One guy goes, well, I, don't, I find that really hard to do, so what he does is the first week of every year he brings his first wage. Brave man, but that's cool. He wants to give, that's all right. All right? So it's that one-off, that first increase, you bring it in, and you give it where you go to God and say, how would you like me to give this? Okay. Third area of giving is to the poor. Now, this is the one that people get confused about. Some people give their tithes or they give their first fruits to the poor. It doesn't belong there. All right? Your tithe goes into the church. Your first fruits goes where you feel God giving it into the ministry that God wants you to give it to or the person that he wants you to give it to. All right? The third area is given to the poor. In Matthew 6, this is where we get this, he says, Take heed not to do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do. They may have glory before men. Assuredly, they have the reward. But do your charitable deed, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, we in the church have said that historically, oh, that goes with all, you know, whenever you give, that's how it works. That's not true. It actually only applies to charity. It only applies to giving to the poor. You can actually tell everybody that you tithe. You can tell everybody that you gave your first fruits. You're allowed to do that. But you don't tell when you've given to the poor. And it comes down for one really simple reason. Dignity and respect. You see, if I... If we had Bob here and Bob was destitute and out of his home and needed something, the last thing Bob needs is everybody out there going, oh, poor Bob. But if I took $1,000 and said, Bob, come on, let's go and find you a plate. We'll go and rent you a house and we'll get you some food in there and we'll get you set up so you can get back on your feet and start moving forward, then I would do that in secret. No one else needs to know. Because if I tell everybody, oh, I gave this to Bob because Bob was destitute, I'm bringing disrespect to Bob. Yeah? That's why your charitable deeds are done in secret. You don't tell anyone. He says, if you tell everybody, that's actually your reward. But Proverbs says that if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, he will repay what you give. So you get back what you've given to the poor. Unless you tell everybody about it. Because then he says that's your reward for that. Does it make sense? The fourth area of giving, and I'm going really quickly, but that's right, we're nearly done, is seed. This is where you sow seed to get a return. And some people struggle with this because they go, well, we don't give to get. Why not? Is there anywhere else that you give money without receiving something back? You know, when you go to a restaurant, do you just hand over $1,000 and walk out the door? 
I mean, I know Fremantle Dockers there. They, if you're a Fremantle member, you give money and don't get any reward, but, you know. <laughs> so, and Richmond have been doing that for a long time, but that's all right. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Sorry, it's just too good. <laughs> so this is why if you're a member of Richmond you don't say anything? Is that what we're saying? I'm moving on. We love you Andy, really. <laughs> As I point out, that wasn't me. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, For God's the one who provides seed for farming and bread to eat in the same way he provides and increases your resources to provide a great harvest of generosity in you. In other words, God provides seed to sow and bread to eat. I think too often we eat our seed. And your seed is over and above your tithe is over and above your first fruits, it's over and above your giving to the poor. Seed is where you sow something intentionally to get a result. Like a farmer goes out and sows seed in a harvest in a field, and if they can, you know, we sow a big backyard there, and you know, we went and go, okay, we're gonna put some um, you know, lettuce out there, we're gonna put some carrot seeds there, we're gonna put some tomato seeds over there, and we came back in, oh, what have you done in your backyard? Oh, we've cut it all up into a market garden, we've planted all this seed. Great. So when the harvest coming in, oh, we don't expect anything for it. We just want to put a garden in. We don't expect anything to grow. Now you'd think I was a bit crazy, yeah? You'd think I was a docker supporter. No. <laughs> but a farmer does that all the time. They put seed in the field expecting a harvest greater than what they put in there. And that's what he's... This is what the Bible's saying. God is saying in this thing, he gives you seed to sow to have an increase come back to you. Paul talks about it in the whole chapter. He says, whatever you give, it comes back in increase. And we have this religious thing that says, when you give to God, you have to just give it and let it go and don't expect anything back. Why would you insult God that way? He's the best investment around. What he is saying is, if you sow a seed and you have a need, then sow a seed towards meeting that need and expect a harvest. You want a breakthrough, then sow a seed into it to bring breakthrough because giving is God's way of breakthrough. And that's why he gave Jesus. He gave his only son so we could have billions of children. Jesus was a seed. He's described as a seed. And he was planted in the earth so that there would be a return. You're part of that return. Because that's how it works, right? And it's the same, if you have a need in your life, then sow towards it. If you're struggling with some debt, sow towards breakthrough. You know, we're going on our trip. So we sowed seed towards having money for our trip. That's how we financed it. It's really quiet today, guys. Are we all right? Sure? 
So where do you sow a seed? You go to God and you ask him, where do I sow a seed? You know, I mean, Dale and I, we, every month, we sow a certain amount, all right? Because it says, to purpose in your heart, know in your heart what you're going to give. Not gradually under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're going to give, get cheerful about it. If you're not cheerful, then get yourself cheerful before you give. It's a choice. It's an attitude. You can make that decision like that. It says the willing and obedient eat the best of the land. Don't just be obedient, be willing about it. Because you've got to have both, all right? So every month we have an amount that we give over and above that is our seed. And we give it as seed into certain ministries. And time to time, God says, increase that. And so, you know, we're talking about this trip. You know, God's, we're praying and, and, and God said, look, I really feel like we need to give, you know, this amount of money. Um, and so we sort of went, okay, well, that's a fair bit of our money that we've got, but okay. You know, okay, so where do we give it? So we asked God, where do you want us to give it? And he said, I want you to give it to this person towards them doing what, their trip and so on. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because like seed produces like, yeah? So we did. So we took that and we gave it to them as a seed. And what you do is when you give a seed, you can also say to the person, agree with me that I'm believing for a harvest on this. All right? And you know the story we told, we told about when we gave our car away. You know, God told us specifically to, to give our car to a certain person. And so we did. And we gave that as a seed. Now, see, sometimes we think, I gave it today, where's my car? It should be here today. That's like me walking out, putting a pumpkin seed in the ground and going, where's my pumpkin? You know, getting my shovel out and digging the seed up every day and going, is it growing? Is it doing anything? You know, I put the seed in the ground, it gets watered, take care of, and eventually it produces a harvest. You know, we gave our car away. A few weeks later, we got our new car. Because sometimes you've got to wait for your seed. There are times when it comes straight away. They're the cool times. Yeah? But other times, you've got to be patient. Don't keep digging up your seed, but you bless your seed. When you put a seed in the ground, you stay in faith. Find a word from God that goes as you sow your seed. I'm sowing it for this. I'm standing on this verse. And you keep blessing your seed. Don't curse it with, oh, where's me jolly thing? It's not working. No, you put a seed in the ground and you bless it. Thank you, God. My seed produces a harvest of righteousness towards me a hundredfold. I believe I receive this that I've sown towards. Does that make sense? It says four areas of giving. You tithe. That's that 10%. It goes into the church. And that releases blessing over you and that rebukes the devourer. The second area is your first fruits. Any increase you have pay rises, any extra money that comes into your hands, you give a first fruit out of that. Third area is give to the poor, and it's important to give to the poor. All right? There's simple ways you can do that. There's plenty of places that do it. But don't tell everybody about it. Just give to the poor. All right? If you don't have people in need, just give to them discreetly. Put it in an envelope, stick it in their letterbox, whatever it is. All right? And the fourth area is where you sow intentional seed to meet a need in your life. To produce a harvest. Yeah? How often should we be three and four? That's between you and God. All right? I mean, I, we, have a, we have a plan of regular seed every month. 
we choose to sow seed into certain ministries that we want to support and be a part of. All right, like we support Justin and, and Rachel and what they do. So every month we send off. Look, and it doesn't have to be big amounts. All right, we know that there's a couple of people here that actually they sow seed into us. And I'm not talking big amounts. Sometimes it's $5 in my bank account. All right? And you go, what? That's not really that much. And, you know, it's not about the amounts. It's about what you're doing it for. All right? If you only have $5, if you need $50 and you sow a $5 seed, that's a big seed. Yeah? If you can't afford a $50 bill. Does that make sense? All right? So it's not about the amounts. It's about intentionally doing it before God. And sometimes God will push you and he does sacrificial seeds. Like, you know, when we gave our car away, that was a sacrificial seed. That cost us big time. They're not the everyday ones. They're the ones where God comes along and says, I want to do a big thing here. You need a big miracle. Let me do a, let me, let's sow a big seed to get a big miracle. You want to put a big, big harvest from a field? You've got to sow a big seed. You, know, you can't put one seed in the corner and expect the whole field to be full of wheat. You've got to sow across the field, right? So you sow according to your need and you sow according to what God... So you go to God and say, okay, God, I've got this need. What can I sow towards it? How can I sow into this to get this breakthrough? Does that make sense? Yeah? So three and four, it's up to you. You know, we have, um, we have a compassion child that we support. Okay? So we do a lot of our poor giving through that. We're also looking for other opportunities just to give. All right? So they come away and you go, you know what? I can give a little, just, it's almost a little bit. I can give a little bit towards that. I can give a little bit towards that. You see someone in need. You know what? I can give a little bit towards that. There's always need in front of you. So be careful you don't caught in the trap that you've got to try and meet every need. All right? Some people get into that and then they've got nothing left because they've given it all into the poor. Okay? You go before the Lord and you, sometimes it's better just to get a figure every month to give into that. All right? It's to build a habit of giving. So where does this come out of our buckets? Well, your 10% is in your giving. It actually comes out of your living. All right? It's a part of your 80%. And you may go, I can't afford to give out of that. Again, it's not about big amounts. It may be, you know what, I've got $2 I can give, so I'll sow that. It's not about the amounts because you'll find that God wants to know will you be faithful and a good steward of what he's given you. And you can be intimidated too easily with going, I don't make enough to do this. you know. So look at your income and how can you improve your income. Look at that. But with what you already have, are you a good steward of what you already have? Because when you get order into your life, and this is the simplest way I know to do it, when you get order into your life, then you can... God can say, I can trust you with more because you have my heart. You've got a heart to give. You've got a heart to walk in wisdom. And you're listening to me. You know, and then he does things like takes your life account and goes, I want you to give all of that. And you go, what? <laughs> That's my safety net. Safety nets aren't bad things, but sometimes God asks you to give your safety net. All right? So you get to the point where you're willing Make sure you're willing. Make sure you're cheerful as you do it. You may have a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of concern, but that's just your head. Go by your heart and get into faith. 
All right? Don't wait until you're... Oh, I'm perfectly in peace now. I can give it. No. You get to the point where you're willing and you can do it cheerfully with some faith. Yeah? And then water your seed with the Word of God. We started that off with, you know, the Word of God, the milk, every day. It's speaking your Word over it, speaking the Word of God over your finances. Because I think some people have been tithing for years, but they've never actually added faith to their tithing. They just do it because it's what you should do. And that's cool. Add faith to your giving. Add faith to your sowing. Water it with the word of God. Let your faith rise up and the harvest will come in. Yep. Are we good? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Bible guides us and leads us into truth and that you give us wisdom and direction. Father, I just pray for every person here that you would give us wisdom with our finances to walk in truth with our finances and to use them as a blessing for you. We thank you for what you've already given us. Lord, we honour you for what you have given us, that we have food to eat, that we have clothes to wear, that we have places to live, that your blessing is on us. And Father, I just pray for each person here that as they are givers or become givers, that, Father, there'll be a speedy increase, a speedy return, a speedy harvest, that you'll be glorified through our lives, that we can make a difference in the world around us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.